You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Well, I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Yeah? Hey, raise your hand if you enjoy Thanksgiving food. Oh, okay, a good amount of you. Uh, raise your hand if you're indifferent about Thanksgiving food. I said that nicely. There's some people that just aren't Thanksgiving food people. Um, I know for me, uh, where, where are my carf, uh, turkey carvers at? If you're a turkey carver, raise your hand if you're the carver. Yeah, so I like to be the carver because then I get to eat before everybody else gets to eat, right? Because usually when you're eating Thanksgiving dinner, it's like two o'clock. It's that weird thing where you haven't eaten all day and then you're like, well, it's too late for lunch but too early for dinner and everybody's hungry and all the food's getting put out and you're smelling all this yumminess. And so if I carve the turkey, then I have to be the taste tester for the turkey as well. I get to taste the white meat and the dark meat and all that stuff. So by the time dinner even starts, because as a guy, you're supposed to wait for everybody else to go, right? So the kids have to go first, and then the women go, and then even like people that are older than you need to go. So, so really, for me, the only way I can get in there soon is if I, if I could carve the turkey. So that's, that's my deal for Thanksgiving. Um, and I, I do this because I don't like to wait. I'm, I'm pretty impatient. We were trying to recall, uh, my wife and I, over the last couple, last week, just how uh, stories of me being impatient. Um, but that's what Advent is. It is a season of preparation and a season of waiting. That's what Advent means. So there's four weeks. If you aren't, uh, haven't been a part of like a young traditional, or I'm sorry, if you haven't been a part of a traditional church before, there's this season of Advent. Advent is very similar to a season of Lent, where Lent is preparing your heart. Uh, you give something up to lead you up to Easter. Advent is what leads us up to Christmas. And it's the four weeks before Christmas happens where we are waiting and we are preparing our hearts for the birth of our Savior, Jesus. But it's twofold. It's not only us waiting for the birth of Jesus, because we know that that has happened in history, but it's also us preparing our hearts and our minds as we wait for the second coming. And so there's a second coming. There's a time that God has made a promise to us that he will return and he will come back for us and make all things new, restore all things. And so not only are we preparing our hearts for remembering the birth of Jesus, but we're preparing our hearts and remembering that this world is not our home. And we are preparing our hearts and our minds that there will be one day a moment where that baby who was born that lived a life that we couldn't live, that died a death that we couldn't die, that rose from the dead, will return to restore all things, make all things new. And so that's what this season of Advent is bringing in, is ushering in. And this week, we get to look at what does it look like to wait upon... <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I'm okay. Um, <laughs> I just have been dealing like for like over a week now with some, some sinus stuff. So if I sound a little off, that's why. Um, but we're preparing our hearts and our minds for the, the second coming of Jesus. And so I'm good. Thanks. Um, 
So let me pray for us. Can I pray for us? I've been feeling like today, just I woke up this morning, my, my heart's heavy, and I don't know why my heart is heavy. Um, so I'm just gonna pray over this passage, over this time, because um, I'm really excited about what the Lord wants to reveal to me today, um, and I know he is for you as well. So let's pray. Jesus, um, we lift this time up to you, Lord. Um, this is your word. And I'm, I'm really excited, Lord, about what it means for us to wait upon you with hope. To expect with hope. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Um, so nobody likes to wait. Does anybody love waiting? Raise your hand. Anybody? Oh, you love waiting. You just love waiting for things to come. Yeah, okay. I believe that for sure. Parents that are, yeah, right? They, those that raise their hands, yeah. Um, waiting is hard. But God says to his children in Isaiah 40, 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And here's our problem. Impatience impairs our hope. I'm gonna say that again. Impatience impairs our hope. As Lauren and I, and actually my mom, were talking through uh, seasons of my life where I was impatient about different things, the main topic that came up was food. Uh, anytime that I am hungry, I am very, very impatient. So it doesn't matter when it is, I get hangry, um, and I'm always wanting when, like, it's lunchtime to just get my food and get going. Um, and so anything that hinders that really makes me impatient. Um, we just got back from SeaWorld as a family, uh, and so we went to SeaWorld uh, on Friday. Um, waiting in line at a theme park. The worst. I don't know why we as parents do this to ourselves, um, but like I remember getting on this one ride that I knew wasn't gonna be great, but the kids really wanted to go, and I'm like, yeah, guys, this isn't the best ride. Like, we wanna go. It was a water ride, one of those like big ones that fall and you're gonna get wet, and I'm like, now I'm gonna be walking through the park with wet shoes all day, and they, they had to go. And of course, the ride breaks down, and then you're just sitting there for like over an hour waiting on this ride, and my impatience, like, I mean, I'm 10 minutes in, and I'm like, I'm worse than the kids at this point. They're playing, having fun, and I'm just like going nuts. And so impatience impedes our hope. It does, it, it does in every aspect of our lives. Other people's sanctification. Do I want to say that again? We get impatient with other people and how they're doing in their sanctification, right? Your husband, your wife, your kids. You want them to grow up quicker, mature faster, uh, spend more time with Jesus so that they can inconvenience you less. We get so impatient. But this season of Advent, we should be preparing our hearts and our minds to wait on the Lord with hope for something so much greater. And this connects to the Old Testament. See, normally when you're going through an Advent season, there are specific passages that we go to. So there's the, the, the Old Testament prophets, and then you look at the shepherds and, the, and, and different stories. But I wanted to go all the way back to the Old Testament because there's so many stories in the Old Testament. Right? This right here, this is a book about the history of God, his story. And in his story, there's stories about his family, people that were his great, 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 great grandparents 
that, that lived lives that waited upon the Lord for a specific promise. God made these people promises that not only he fulfilled, but then he also ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. This is the story of Jesus right here. And so we're seeing in the book of Genesis a promise that God made to a man named Abraham. So if you have a Bible, uh, open it up, Genesis chapter 15. There should be Bibles uh, around. There's some Bibles in the back over there. If you don't have any Bibles over there, there's some stacks of Bibles. Uh, also on your phone, there's a version Bible app. We'd love for you to hold the Word of God in your hand. This is Genesis 15. This is the story of a man named Abram who eventually had his name changed to Abraham. God makes a promise. And in fact, it's called a covenant. I'm going to start in verse 1 in chapter 15 of Genesis. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Elizer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heaven, the number of the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So I want to just give us a few takeaways on what it looks like to wait upon the Lord with hope from Abraham's story. Here's the first takeaway, that as I read this story, this is what I see. God is a promise maker. We have a God who is a promise maker. God makes promises to his children. God doesn't make small promises either. That's one of the things I actually love about God is that when he makes a promise, these are big promises. I mean, ones that are actually not even humanly practical or possible. Look at verse 1. He says, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. And then in verse 5, your offspring will be so many you couldn't count. I mean, at this point of the story, Abraham is in his mid to late 70s. His wife is in her 60s. Let's not just bypass that. I mean, if you're in this room and you're over 60, I want you to just think about having a dream or somebody coming up to you and saying, hey, I know you don't have any children, but you're going to have a baby. Like, that's the point where your kids take you to a doctor. They may have some pills prescribed to you or some counseling. Like, that's the scenario. He's in his 70s. And God is saying, hey, guess what? Now, back then, there were other people within their household. There were, there were family members, and there were uh, servants, and there were people that they, uh, they were like kind of growing up with. So they had this like kind of household of a bunch of people, and someone who wasn't his relative but kind of was his right-hand man, he's saying, I'm going to have to give my inheritance to someone who's not even a, a blood relative of mine because, because I don't have my own kids to give my inheritance to. 
And God's like, no, 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 he's not going to be your heir, but I'm going to give you a child. And so he believes God at this point because God is a promise maker. And Abraham had been walking with the Lord, so he knows that God fulfills his promises. But this promise was bigger than a physical one. And I think we don't want to miss this either because this was not only a promise about them having a baby, but this was a promise about them having a baby who is going to be in line with this ultimate savior king that God had been promising since the beginning of time to come and restore all things from the fall of Adam and Eve. So it wasn't just this promise about having a baby. It was a promise about having someone who was going to be the great, 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 great grandfather of the Messiah King. This is a huge promise. And it was coming through the line of Abraham. And so there was going to be this generation, this family of people that were going to be born, that were going to be God's chosen people. God promised Abraham that he would give him not only a child, but a new land, what he called the promised land, where God would live with Abraham and his offspring forever. So even bigger than the promise that God's making to Abraham about having a child, a child in his 70s, 80s, 90s, but a child who is going to be the, the, a descendant of the, the, the ultimate savior king who's ultimately going to be living in, with his whole family for all of eternity in a place that he's calling this promised land. This is even bigger than Israel, the promised land. This is eternity. This is forever that we're talking about. So this promise is not just this minute one-time deal in the speck of history, right? If we have this court of history right here and one and done, this promise is going to affect the Messiah King for all of us in this room and also going to connect to the ultimate return of Jesus where we all get to spend eternity with God. There's a fulfillment of promises from here all the way through to this very moment right now that will be all the way through to history until Jesus returns. These promises are so huge and they're only able to be made by a holy God who is outside of time, who is knows all and is all powerful and is everywhere. He is sovereign over these things. And so Abraham is not just believing, hey, you're going to fulfill our temporary desire for a child. He is waiting upon the Lord to fulfill the restoration of all mankind for all of eternity. That's huge. And so when we're sitting here in Advent, like we're thinking like, oh man, like my, my, my Christmas plans are getting messed up. Oh, this flight got canceled. Oh, this happened. Like we sit in these minute little details of circumstances throughout, and it ruins our day. Right? When that ride like, started, like the line was supposed to be 30 minutes and then we were in it for like 45, like it just ruined my day. I fail to remove myself from those little moments of time to realize that there is a bigger story than me. And that I have a God who is a promise maker. Because here's the second takeaway. 
It is in our fallen human nature to try and take matters into our own hands. Genesis 16. More than 10 years goes by, and his wife Sarah says, you know what, this isn't happening. You know, I'm in my 70s now. If it didn't happen when I was in my 60s, it's definitely not going to happen when I'm in my 70s. So here's what you do. Take my servant, Hagar, and you go have a baby with her. Now, there were times where, where women were barren that, that another woman would carry on the family name and the family legacy and the family heir. Um, that's not the way it is today. All right? So just clarity. Um, but that's their culture and what they did. I'm not saying it was right. I'm saying that's what she decided. She took matters into her own hand and said, hey, this is a good idea. Never a good idea, but this might be a good idea. Take it matters. In, you, ever, you ever make an, a decision on something that like everything in the world is pointing to the fact it's a bad decision, but all of a sudden you've convinced yourself in your mind that it's good? Oh, yeah. I got an idea. And Abraham is like, okay. So he ends up getting Hagar pregnant, and then Sarah gets really mad at both of them. So then he, she casts out Hagar into the wilderness with this baby, and like everything just spirals out of control. In our fallen, fallen human nature, we try to take matters into our own hand. Their impatience impaired their hope. <coughs> Taking matters into our own hands will always lead to disaster and destruction. I'll say that again, because for some of us, I think we think we're the um, exception to the rule. We think for everybody else, it will lead them into disaster and destruction, but then for us, no, 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 we'll, we'll be able to handle this. We'll be able to do it. Taking matters into our own hands, me, you, 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 taking matters into our own hands, using our own human logic to try to figure out what we think is best above what God says is best will always lead to disaster and destruction. Ishmael's born. Sarah's angry. She treats Hagar terribly. She casts him out of the land, out of the inheritance. This has led to a historic generational battle that has lasted up until today. Like the whole war in the Middle East started here between Ishmael's descendants and Isaac's descendants. Like this is this decision to take matters into her own hands and Abraham to 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 do this like led for generational issues. Taking matters into our own hands will always lead to disaster and destructions. I constantly try to do things on my own. I constantly try to force things. And what it does is it leads us into this pit of despair. It's like a kid going on a hike with a parent and them constantly running ahead where the parent can't see them. And what do they do? They call them back because they, they say, hey, if you hang out with me, I can protect you. But if you run ahead and I can't see you, I can't protect you. You need to trust mom and dad and stay with us. But as kids, what do we do? We run ahead. And then we fall into this pit. And then what's the first thing that we do? Help. Mom, dad, now I need you. We throw our hands up out of this pit going, okay, dad, mom, come rescue me. And what God wants to do is he wants to save us from the pit. 
He wants to say, hey, there are things in life that are for your good. And then there are things in life that will only lead you to destruction. So, this, like, when we talk about the law and we talk about the Bible, often people make it about legalism. It's about if you don't follow the law, then God won't love you. That's not what this says. God loves you in spite of you. But, but here's the thing. God knows that it's for your good if you do these things. God knows it's for your good if you follow his ways. He knows all. He's a promise maker who's made all these promises and has fulfilled all these promises. And so he knows what's best for you. So he says, hey, Miguel, it's better for you to love your wife as I love the church. So give up your life. Lay your life down to serve your wife and love your wife and care for your wife. It's better for you if you do that. that that's what God is saying. And, and what we do is say, no, I know better. I need to do what the culture says a man is. And a man needs to, to be in charge and tell her what to do and when to do it. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Lay down your life, men. Wives, submit to your husband as unto the Lord, not because he deserves it. And that submission is not a him lording over you. That, that, that is about you coming alongside your husband as a helper to point him to Jesus and to help him grow in his relationship with Jesus. But yet what we do is we think we want to take matters in our own hands. We want to do what we think is best. I want to get into this relationship because I think it's best even if I know that God doesn't want me in it. Or, or I'm going to do this business practice even though I know it's a little bit shady, but it's because I think I'm going to, you know, I'll ask for forgiveness later. Ever play that card? Well, I know God will forgive me, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway. And Paul addresses that. He says, don't keep on sinning so that grace may abound because it'll ultimately have consequences. Sin does splatter. But here's the good news. Well, let me say it this way. Bad news, good news. Bad news. You will fall in the pit. You will run ahead of God. You will disobey. It's not like maybe. You will. And if you didn't know that coming in here, like, I don't think that that's like, aha news. Like, you know, I don't think anybody's sitting here going like, really? Like, I'm going to mess up? I'm going to fail? You will. But here's the good news. Even though we don't deserve it, God faithfully fulfills his promises. And I know for some of you, you don't believe that. But I want you to know this morning, from all of history, from everything we know of, that we have a God that fulfills his promises. Humanity will always mess things up. We are sinners, short-sighted, impatient. But God's promises are one-sided. In Genesis 15, right after God makes this promise to Abraham to give him all these descendants, they do this little ritual. Back then, when you're making a covenant with somebody, they would take animals and they would cut these animals in half. I know it's gruesome, um, but then they, you know, smoked them and barbecued and it was delicious. Anyway, so they, no, I'm kidding, come on. So they cut these animals in half and they separated them. 
And then the people, one person would stand. So if, if Lauren was the other person and we were making a covenant or a promise to one another, she would walk through the halved animals in this direction, and I would walk through in the opposite direction. And that was like, if you've bought a house, you sign a lot of paperwork to buy a house. It's a, a commitment, a covenant. You sign a commitment with your mortgage company. It's similar to that, but even greater. Like, what we're saying in this ritual back then was if either one of us breaks this promise to one another, may we end up like these animals, split and dead. So this is a, like almost a blood covenant, if you will, where, where we are committing with one another to whatever this promise is. And so God says to Abraham, go get these animals, cut them in half and split them, and we're going we're gonna to do this together. And then God causes Abraham to fall asleep. So in any promise, in any, in any covenant that you would make, she would walk through, that's her side of the, the commitment. I would walk through, that's my side of the commitment. And we're committing, may we end up like these animals. I want us to understand this. Because this is the good news of the gospel. God makes Abraham fall asleep. Because God knew Abraham would never be able to fulfill his side of the bargain. Because he knew that is in our human nature to take matters in our own hands, and when we do, we will fail. He already knew that Abraham was going to have a baby with Hagar. He already knew that they weren't going to fully trust him and, and run ahead of God, and they were going to mess up. Abraham was a liar, too. There were times where Abraham said really big lies in the scriptures. But God still loved him. And God still fulfilled his promise through Abraham. So he causes Abraham to fall asleep. And you know what God does? He walks both sides of the covenant. He passes through for God's side, and then he passes through for our side. We have a God who always fulfills his promises in spite of us, knowing we will fail. I, want, I don't want anybody to leave here today without fully understanding this. I have done things in my life that I never thought I would have done. I would have convinced myself at a young age, when, when I was a young boy, that I would never do this, whatever it may be. You could put whatever you want in there. I would never do this. And I did. And my biggest failure may not be behind me. I still am capable of destroying my life because of bad decisions and things that I choose to do over what God wants me to do. But God's promise remains and is already fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus sent his son, not because he thought I was going to be faithful to him. He sent his son because he knew he was gonna be faithful to me. 
All I bring to the table is my sin. And what he gives me is his holiness. He adopts me as his child, and he fulfills his promise by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Now, where do we even see that in Genesis 15? Look at verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. But wait, 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 wait. Ten years later, he, he, he failed that belief. God still fulfilled his side of the covenant. God walked both sides. Because God had a plan. And God's plan was for Abraham to be in the lineage of Jesus. And God always fulfills his promises. So even though we do not deserve it, God faithfully fulfills his promises. So a promise is made and fulfilled by God. Nothing we do by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And here's another thing that we have to understand. God will always fulfill his promises in his time. I think it's hard, because I mean, when we're looking at this story, I mean, the passage I read in Isaiah earlier, um, there's, a, there's a scripture in Isaiah 7:14. if you want to bring that on up. This is over 700 years before Jesus is born. Isaiah 7 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive a son and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's over 700 years before Jesus is born. God's time is God's time. And he, he doesn't necessarily follow our time. I like to tell God my time just so that he's aware like, hey, God, just, just so you know. But, but God fulfills his promises in his time, over 700 years later. And then Jesus says when he's here, I'm going to return. And now we're 2,000 plus years beyond that point. And some of us are growing weary. Some of us are going, well, is he actually going to return? Is he really going to come back? But we look at the course of history and see all of these promises from Genesis 15 all the way till now, thousands of years, and we see that our God is a promise maker. And so we can wait upon the Lord with hope, knowing that he will fulfill his promise because he's a promise maker and a promise keeper. Amen? Amen. So how's this going to impact us today? Advent's, Advent is a season of waiting and preparation. And I think life can often play out in a way where we struggle to believe that God is good and he is for us. But I think what we do is we often magnify our circumstances over our God. And so in this season, here's my encouragement to you. Seek the Lord Enjoy the Lord, no matter where you find yourself. You may be sitting here and you'll be like, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. I don't, but God does. And he still loves you, and he still has chosen you to know him. So, trust his promise. Trust what he's done in Jesus. Don't, don't sit here and just say, oh, but, but, but. 
Grow in your relationship with the Lord. And there's so many ways you can do that. We have Bible studies here. We have uh, community groups here. We have, there's different ways to plug into the life of the family. Don't try to do it on your own. There is so many great resources that we have available to us through the use of the internet and social media that, that we can do a Bible study. We can open up and do a devotional in the mornings. The YouVersion Bible app has some great ones on there. But take time in this season to prepare your heart to grow in your understanding of who God is and what he has done for you. Don't magnify your circumstance. Magnify your God. And what we're going to do is we're going to respond in communion. So this is what communion is. Communion is a beautiful representation of what God has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. The bread represents his body that he has broken for us. So when we take it, we do this in remembrance of him. And then the cup is his blood that has been poured out for us. We do this in remembrance of him. And so what you do is you take the bread and you dip it in the cup. That's how we take communion here. And in this time, we go before the Lord. We confess what we need to confess, and we receive his forgiveness. Um, there's also these cups on the side. Those are gluten-free. So for those that need gluten-free options, those little cups on the side have a wafer in the top, and there's juice on the bottom. Um, those are gluten-free options. Um, and as we do this, what we want to do is prepare our heart. So Advent is a season for preparation and waiting. So even before you come, I want to give you two questions that you can go before the Lord with and, and sit with the Lord so you can grow in your understanding and your knowledge of who he is and what he's done for you. Here are the two questions. Are there areas of your life where impatience is impairing your hope? If there are, Give those to the Lord. Confess them to the Lord. And the second one is, is there something in your life that you are placing your hope in other than Jesus? And if there is, bring it to the Lord. And then receive his full forgiveness for all of those things by joining us and coming and remembering what he has done through the beauty of the sacrament of communion knowing that God loves you, he wants a relationship with you, and he has fully forgiven you through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Can I pray for us? As we wait upon the Lord with hope, God, we know that you are coming back to redeem all things. Lord, as we looked at your story of Abraham and how you made a promise to him and his family. And then, God, you, you fulfilled that promise in him having a son named Isaac, but then you also fulfilled that promise in giving us a savior through the birth of Jesus to a virgin that you said over 700 years before in Isaiah. And so, Lord, we wait with anticipation and hope for when you will return. God, we pray that that would be soon. Our world is hopeless. Our world is searching for hope other than you. And I pray that we would be conduits of hope 
for a lost and dying and hopeless world. God, I pray that we would trust you. And when our impatience flares up, God, I pray that we would take it to you, lay it at your feet, and remember that you have fulfilled the covenant with us and you walked both sides of the covenant with us for your glory, for your name, because you love us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray that now when we take communion, Lord, that we would take this with a heart of gratitude and anticipation and hope for when you return. Your name we pray. Amen.